0: So as I was preparing to um, talk to you guys today, um, I just had this... I had a meltdown, really. (laughs) Let's just be honest about it. I just had an irrational meltdown. Can everyone see it? It's a a bit like like a barrier. Let's just move this down a bit. Um, And... I think... You're never supposed to start a talk with apologies, but I've had a baby, and my brain just doesn't work. I can't... I can just about sort of talk to my friends at coffee morning about what I've done that morning, like, you know, what the kids have done, let alone put a sermon together. So I just want to sort of set my stool out. If I gabble, because this is a personal testimony, this has been really heavy on my heart for years. I've preached at my church, but now I've been asked to preach on femininity, not so much husbands and wives, Ephesians 5 passage, which is what I preached on at my church. So this is kind of coming at the same material that God's been working on in my life, but from a different angle. And I had a meltdown as I was preparing it. And um, I was like, oh, I've got nothing to give. I'm not good enough. No one wants to listen to me. I'm tired. Just, Scott, go and get me some chocolate. <laughs> and he was good. He went and got me some chocolate, and I sat down. And he said, listen, Kate, you are now, you are a woman of peace. And you're content in yourself. And you've come on an amazing journey. And you need to just let that come out. So I'm going to try and do that today. Um, I want to share about how my character um, has been shaped through um, the theological issue of submission. Okay, so we read in scripture, it says, wives, submit to your husbands and husbands, love love your wives. And first of all, when I I'm jumping about here. I want to make sure I do it in the right order. So, some of you have been married a lot longer than I have. Okay, I've only been married six years in September. So, some of what I'm going to say, maybe you you know already, and you've thought about it already, and that's great. But there might be some things that that you haven't already heard, or might be my story that you can take that might encourage you in some way. Um, so, I became a Christian when I was a young girl, probably under five. Um, I brought up in a lovely Christian home, Christian parents who encouraged me and loved me, made me a confident and secure person. Um, And in my late teens, I thought, right, this God stuff, I'm going to take it seriously. It's going to be all or nothing. And it was definitely going to be all. And I decided to go to LST, or London School of Theology, um, after my A-levels. And I thought, I'm a strong, confident woman. I've got my life ahead of me. I was, like, 19. I was a size 10. Like, it was amazing. I thought, I've got the whole world out there. I love God. God is for me. I've got a good family behind me. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to shape my world. Um, I thought, upon graduating, I'm probably going to go and plant a church or just be involved in in a church, probably really heavily leading, preaching all the time, just making a big Katie-shaped dent in Christendom, basically. I thought, right, you know, you, you don't know what's going to hit you. I'm coming. And... In a sense, that wasn't a bad desire. It like, sounds like I'm being a bit arrogant, but I'd say confidence, not arrogance. <laughs> but I was. I was confident, and I can't help that. But what I was embarking on when I went to LST was this really soul-searching, soul-mind, heart-wrenching journey of God saying, yes, you can have those things. You can do those things and make an impact for me because you love me, but not quite the way you think you're going to do it. Um, so, in between my A-levels, I met Scott. The love of my life. <laughs> um, we met through mutual friends, and he was training for the marathon. He was a bit of a stud. <laughs> We've both put on about four, four stones since then. Um, and he... He went to a New Frontiers church, I went to a Baptist church, but anyway, we, we were just really good friends, he taught me to drive, I know, like we could never do that now, but he did, when we were, when we were mates, he taught me to drive, we had the same, same um, CD collection, we loved the same stupid films, we had the same humour, and we just fell in love, and it was amazing, I thought, wow, this guy's really cool. Before then, before I met Scott, I'd had boyfriends, but I was a bit of a man-eater, and it was like, yeah, I like him, yeah, you could be my boyfriend, and we'll see how it goes. And then if I decided it was off, it was off. You know, I didn't really let blokes in. But Scott was different. We just struck up this amazing friendship, and we became best friends. Um, and I actually fell in love with him. For the, You know, i have never been in love with anyone, but I fell in love with Scott. Which is why it was all really difficult, but I'll, I'll, I'll come on to that. Um, and we would stay up all night in his car. He'd drop me off after small group. We lived just really, really close in the same area, and he dropped me off after a small group, and we'd, we'd sit outside my parents' house, and we'd watch the foxes come out. You know, we were there all night. We'd see the foxes at sort of 3, 4 in the morning, then we'd see the sunrise. I think even one time, Scott had an early morning man's prayer meeting, and uh, it was on a Saturday morning, and we'd been out Friday night and stayed up in the car chatting all night, and then he, like, just went straight to this prayer meeting straight away. So fantastic relationship. Just totally clicked, totally got on well, except for when it came to this issue of men and women, and how do men and women relate? So Scott comes from this background where elders are men. I come from this background where elders are whoever's qualified and whoever's gifted to do so. doesn't matter about your gender. And I was outraged, really. <laughs> I, was just, I was just like, Scott, you're, you're like a legend. Like, I think I'm even falling in love with you, but you're so sexist. Like, why are you like that? Um, and these passages just stung me. And every time we talk about it, we're just getting these heated debates. We'd go from being best friends to like violent, angry phone calls, where we're slamming the phone down because it was just this grappling over what he believed and what I believed. Um, and so, as I as I read these scriptures, I just thought, Paul, you're a sexist. Basically, you you're not for women, but that's okay because God is for women. And I know God because my parents have taught me about God, and I've had an experience of God. Jesus lives in me. The spirit's changed my life. Um, and I know God wants me to go on and do these things. God wants me and my ministry to prevail. And I'm not going <laughs> to let a man sort of hold me back on that. Um, and again, that sounds arrogant, but my heart was, I want to teach people in godliness. I want to teach about God. I want to have a say in how my home was run. I want to have a say in how I raised my children. And this whole idea about headship and winning, submitting to their husbands was like, Really? It's so outdated. I'm not just going to go along with what Scott says for the sake of it. Like, if I've got a better idea than him as to how we're going to do things in the house, then we're just going to do it my way. Like, if, um, and even... So our, our relationship was a bit to, sort of to and fro. I, I don't even think God really knows what happened in our relationship. We were kind of start, stop, start, stop, together, break up. Um, but a little while ago... We've lived in our house now for two, two and a half years, and we've only just finished unpacking our boxes. We've got loads of boxes of books, because we like to look like we really know our stuff, but we don't, we don't read them. We just put one out of the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we just finished unpacking these books, and we've stumbled across Scott's one of Scott's old Bibles, and um, inside there were these, these notes that he'd written, Um, when he went on a holiday to Sri Lanka, which was actually while we were having a break. We were on a break in our relationship. And um, he went to Sri Lanka to get some headspace to decide, can I be with Kate? Are these issues going to hold us back? And um, uh, in these notes, which then turned into a letter that I remember receiving, it said, Kate, will you follow me? And I remember getting the letter, which was a compilation of all these notes. And I was like, pah! (laughs) No, mate, will you follow me? Like, I am the one at Bible college. Hello. I'm the one who's, like, getting all the opportunities. I could be on preaching team if I wanted to. You know, like, I've grown up in a Christian home. You've not. You became a Christian when you were 17. Like, I'm better than you, and you want me to follow you. Like, you want me to give up all of my dreams and ambitions as a woman in Christ just to, like, be lady wife and do the washing up. Which, to be fair, if you look at my life now, I do an awful lot of washing up. (laughs) I've got two kids. You might say I don't wash up, but I do. You come home and think, you're getting enough time to be washing up, Kate. Haven't you done this? But I do a lot, anyway. So I was really anti. Now, I wasn't like a militant feminist. I wasn't always angry with boys. I wasn't angry with men. I wasn't bossy. It was just that when I read the scriptures about wives, submit to husbands, and you know what? There's an order to creation. And it was Adam, and, and Eve came from Adam. These kind of theological principles, they just really grated. They were really, really hard for me to accept. Um, and I felt like when I read them, that these scriptures were disqualifying me from being the woman of God that I, that I felt that I wanted to be. Um, and looking back, actually, it was, I was a godly woman. I was a quasi-godly woman, like godly woman, the dyke coke version. Like I I had I had some principles that were definitely godly. I loved Jesus, I was filled with his spirit, I loved people, I'm I'm kind, I'm a good person. But I was only partly shaped by Scripture. Um, and and looking back, I can see I can see why. I can see why I was only partly shaped by Scripture. And um, it was influences as I was growing up. The culture around me, key role models in my life um, that shaped how I saw men and women and how I saw myself. So um, a really, really influential woman in my life um, said to me, Kate, never let a man ruin your life. And I was like, okay, (laughs) never. You know, just sort of built up this sense of Lone Ranger. You go, and you make it yourself. You work, you carve out your own path in life as a woman. I was surrounded by men who were really passive. Like, because of their brokenness. Like, I'm not not judging. They were broken men. And they they weren't present in family life. They were depressed a lot. Um, They didn't participate. They didn't lead. Like I read in scripture, men should lead. Um, And my mum... So my mum, my mum was this influential woman. I don't, I don't think I'm being disrespectful in saying that. We've had very robust conversations about, about this issue. I've, I've now fully converted. I'm a believer in um, the order of creation and husbands and wives. And my mum, point black, just does not believe it. She just says, Kate, you've been hoodwinked. You've been brainwashed. So growing up, I look back and I see the things she'd say to me. And there was this one family who, who were mutual friends of um, me and Scott and our families. And um, their dad... Gerald, would go to work, really high-powered job, and he'd come home. I remember I'd be around sort of playing with one of their daughters, and he'd come home, and he'd go, all right, darling, how have the kids been today? Right. I need to talk to Hannah about that then, don't I? Jonathan said that? Right. I'll get him after tea. Don't worry. "Um, What are we having for tea? Mushrooms. Right, I'll go and chop the mushrooms then. Okay. And he'd just come home, and he was just present. He was just there. He sorted the kids out. He was helping put the dinner on. And he loved his wife, he loved his children, he was involved in the discipline, it was wonderful. And my mum would later reference to me, yeah, but that's not realistic. Oh, in an ideal world, men might be like that. But Mary puts too much pressure on him. He needs to come home and kick back with a beer and just relax. It's unrealistic to expect men to be like that. And I thought, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. She'd say, in a marriage, you're a team. And maybe one day you'll lead, and maybe the next day he'll lead. But you kind of play with each other's strengths. Fundamentally, there's a flaw there. Yes, marriage is a team, but scripture says something quite paramount about the roles and functions of husbands and wives in marriage. So I went to Bible college, set on learning all the clever interpretations, all the clever hermeneutical methods to try and explain away these scriptures. Um, I decided I'd write my 10,000-word dissertation on why men don't have to lead in church, why anyone who's gifted can do it, and why men don't have to lead their households and lead their wives. Actually, women can lead themselves, thank you very much. That's what I was going to set about to write my dissertation on. Um, And looking back, it was really sad, because this issue, this sexuality issue, as in who am I as a woman, how do I relate to myself, how do I relate to people around me? How do I relate to God? Who does God say I am? Who do I say I am? Who do others say I am? This is sexuality. It's all about relationships. This was my sexuality issue. Who am I as a woman? How do I fit? And it bubbled beneath me in every single lecture that I went to, every, every study session that I went to, whether it was genres or um, yeah, interpretation or church history or doctrine, I'd be thinking how does this fit with justifying what I want to believe about the roles of men and women and women leading in church? And if I'd hear, if I'd hear a, a hint that the theology was moving in the direction that there were roles for men to play and roles for women to play and that men should lead and, and women should support and nurture, then I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go and find the other books that say the opposite, and I'm going to do the essay that's controversial. So right, right there from day one, all through my time at Bible college, I was just wrestling with this issue. And I wish I could go back and do my degree again. Now this isn't a problem for me. I wish I could go back and actually learn about the New Testament, because I haven't got a clue, really. <laughs> God did so much in my character in my three years at Bible college, but I, I don't know the Bible that well. Like, I do my best. You know what? I really wanted to have in um, meaty scriptures for you to write down and go away and study, but, like I say, baby brain, forgive me. Um, I didn't put them in. So... The, the truth is in me. The scriptures are in me. And I'm going to talk about them as if I've got them in my notes. But if you, I can sit with you and we can go through scripture if you want to pin some of these down and think, yeah, where are they? I can do that. I had friends at college who were also battling with sexuality and they did the same thing I did. And these guys and girls are people that were battling with same-sex attraction. And um, in, their, in their lectures, their experience, their essays, they'd be thinking, how can I create my theology, weave it all together... Through the whole scope of Scripture, to say that the kind of the story of Scripture and the themes of Scripture and the the morals that Scripture brings out, I need them to all justify me being a good Christian, me loving Jesus, loving people, building the church, but being gay. And they wrestled with that. And we were just these bitter people in uni looking back. Maybe we weren't, but we weren't free. We were coming at Scripture with our own agenda. Yeah, we were looking at it to say, this needs to say what I want it to say or I can't be happy. And ultimately, this comes down to your heart attitude to God. And I remember building brick by brick this theology to defend women from the tyranny of male eldership and husbands being the head. And I was, what I was doing was I was calling out to God, saying, God, come and vindicate me. Vindicate all my study and all that I know is true. I was saying, God, I'm right, and I need you to back me up. So, all the while, Scott and I were dating. Um, As I say, we'd have these painful arguments on the phone, and then we'd have these great times of just being best mates and being in love. Um, And Scott really had to think hard about whether he wanted to be with me, and it was why he was on that holiday in Sri Lanka I told you about, that he decided, Kate is perfect for me, I love her, but actually, if we were to get married, she's not she's not going to follow me. She's not, although we can talk about it now in theory, and it's okay because it's abstract, if we were to get married, she, she's not going to follow me, she's not going to yield to me, and that's not how I want a marriage. And I, at the time, was like, "Farmer, you can stuff your marriage then, because no, I'm not. Like, we're going to be a team or nothing. And we are a team, don't hear what I'm not saying. A very specific element to a relationship with husbands and wives is husbands taking a lead and saying, Do you know what, babe, I've got your back. Always, not on Monday to Friday and it's your turn on, the weekend, it's always. I'll, I'll take the flack, I'll be there when it gets tough, and I couldn't see that. So he came to uni and he dumped me. Sat on my bed, he went, Kate, he didn't even have a cup of tea. I thought, something's up. I, was like, I've, I, can't, I can't stay long because I've got to go on to some training he was doing. I was like, This is odd. Like, um, I've been thinking long and hard, and he held my hands. He drew me in and he was like, we need, we need to end it. Or something hideous like that. <laughs> and then he put his arms around me and he wanted to pray. He wanted to pray. <laughs> oh. I was like, whatever, just you need to go now. Okay. Like, I can't believe you've just done that. Because don't forget, this is me. I've never been dumped. I was always, I was always the woman who was like, mm, it's not, you know, like, I just think we should be friends. I never, I'd never been in love. This was like mega, mega ouch. And... I then turned to God. I had nothing. Like, why would I now sit in lectures trying to build up this theology? Who was I trying to prove it to? The love of my life had said, I don't want to be with you. Like, massive rejection. I was just shattered. I was just broken. I was like, what? Oh, this is just terrible. Um, And so I came to God then with a broken heart. And I looked at scripture from a point of, I need to be rebuilt. Rather than coming to scripture with a sense of, I knew who I am. And I need this scripture to back it up so off I can go. Um, and what God did with me is it's like what we do with Max now over dinner. Max is a really good boy. He's actually quite well behaved, but over dinner, he's just got this thing. He just won't eat his tea. Sometimes we'll sit with him for an hour battling with him to have his dinner, and why do we do it? Because we know it's good for him. Because if he finishes his tea, he feels better. He's less antsy. He can behave, and then he'll sleep well, and then he's better behaved tomorrow. So <coughs> it's like, you know, I'm a new mum, so please, older women, older older men, come and tell me input to me on parenting please but we've kind of muddled along so far we thought no we're going to make him eat his tea we're going to discipline him this is just a skill he's got to learn in life you just eat it's just not hard (laughs) but he he just uses it as a he just uses it to be naughty basically he's like
1: "Mm -hmm. Uh
0: (laughs) and so we god sat me on his knee and he took me out the high chair and he sat me on his knee and he said i know you think you're right and I know you think you know what's best for you. But actually, I know what's best for you. And this is really hard for you right now. But we're going through this difficult process. But it's going to be good for you in the end. And it's like we you say to Max, listen, I know it's hard for you right now. But you're going to eat your dinner or you're going to have a snack. <laughs> so, because, because. And he doesn't always understand the reasons, but he gets it. And God did this for me with um, prophetic words of knowledge. So I worshipped at Soul Survivor Church for a little while and there was a, a, a guest preacher who was doing some beach mission, this amazing guy who'd seen hundreds of people saved. And right at the end he said, I believe God is speaking in the prophetic and he wants to speak to some people today. And he said, you lady in the back in the pink, I've got a word for you. And he just then told me all about my situation. And he said, God won't lead you to disappoint you. And he knows the complexity of your heart and of the issues. And I can't really say enough of how amazing it was, but it was a supernatural breaking in of God where there was no way. My heart was still hard and broken. And God was just saying, I know this is hard for you, but I'm going to take you on a journey and you're going to be changed. And you know what? It takes real courage and strength to come at scripture without your own agenda, without trying to prove, make it prove what you want it to prove. And I'm not saying I had that strength because I didn't. I was broken because my love of my life had said no, it's over. So if you can find that strength, maybe some of you need to hear, do you know what, stop it, just yield to scripture, listen to what God is saying to you. If that's you, just do it. God isn't trying to hoodwink you, he's not trying to disappoint you or make you feel hard done by. He's got good things for you. Um, He allowed me to be broken so he could rebuild me correctly. And as my heart softened, my theology softened. Let's let's take a bit of a different pace now. We're going to look at why is the principle of submission, why why does it come under such attack? Now, I could talk for ages about this, couldn't I? So much to say on why the world hates submission and why the world hates God's order of things, but... Basically, we can say in a post-feminist society, it seems like a backward step. Like, women know your role, shut your hole. Like, what? We don't think that. We're like, no, women, you can be a fireman, you can do anything you want. Nothing's nothing's held back for women, is it? You know, we've we we should be seen as as equal. So, feminists hate it. It undoes all that society has worked for regarding rights for women. Yeah, we all agree with these sorts of things. It it seems to promote sexism and inequality, doesn't it? To say to say wives, submit to your husbands, um, or, or even employees, submit to your bosses. It just makes people feel prickly, doesn't it? Like, why are you telling me to submit? Like, I'm equal, don't try and dumb me down. There's this pride that rises up in us about equality. The, the worldly cultural view of submission is very difficult to submit, uh, biblical submission. We're going to go on and look at that. Biblical submission is a profound and wonderful, beautiful thing, um, and we just struggle to get it. Um, And I want to suggest that one of the main reasons we struggle to get it is because even as Christians, we find it difficult that two things that seem to be opposing can be true at the same time. It's like some Christians want to be black or white on things. And if you're one of those Christians, I just want to release you. Some things are black and white. They're not black or white. They're both. They're not even grey. It's black and it's white. And people just don't doesn't sit comfortably with people, but it's true. So what so God chooses us, but yet we choose him. And Scripture teaches that we are saved, or we are being saved. Scripture says that Jesus was fully God, but fully man. He's like, what? Crazy. Two really opposing things, but they're both true at the same time. So like a science-y one, um, light is both in wave form and particle form. I don't know what that means, I wish I did. Some <laughs> science people, I'm not expect, I'm not seeing the big wow that I did at my church. Like from sciencey people. But we are from a university town. <laughs> so do you get that? So what I'm saying I think submission is hard for us to get because Actually, I don't think we always understand God. So I think the key to understanding how women, or how submission can be fully grasped and understood, we can understand it when we understand the Godhead more. And this is really basic theology. And I apologise if if some of you just really know this stuff. Um, this has just been part of my journey. It was me understanding this type of doctrine and this type of theology that helped me get it and live as a the free woman that I am today. So. The answer is in the relational dynamic of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each member of the Trinity only finds its value in relation to one another. The Father is only the Father because he's got a son. Without the Son, he wouldn't be a father. The Son is only the Son because he's got a father. Without the Father, he wouldn't exist, would he? He wouldn't wouldn't be there. And the Spirit is only the Spirit... Now, this kind of depends whether you're, a, believe, in the east side of the church or the western side of the church, but we kind of go with the theory that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So what I'm saying is there's this relational dynamic. It's like this ongoing sort of whizzing round. It doesn't start and stop. God exists as three in one, always. It wasn't that the Father and the Spirit had this relationship and made the Son. You know, he was begotten, not made. So they always exist as three. There's always this, this relationship, And and we know, right, that all of them are equal in their value. It's not that the Father's more important or the Spirit or the Son is more important. They are all completely equal, but they are different in their role and their function. Now, I tried to get around this at Bible College because I thought I was very clever. And I went to the library and I found some very clever books that said, yeah, 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 Father, Son, Spirit, all in in a relationship all the time, but (coughs) Uh Jesus was only in submission to the Father whilst he was on earth. So he comes down from the heavens, he lives on earth, and he's like, yeah, all right, all right, Dad, I'm in submission to you, and I'm just playing it that way. But when he ascended and went back to be with the Father, there was no level of submission there. He He was doing the same things in the same role, having the same functional role as the Father. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I was saying, he comes down to earth, lives a life, and when he goes back, he's the same. I was trying to disprove that there is forever a kind of a, a hierarchy and relationship between the Godhead. And this was, uh, this was called temporal submission. And I believed that... Do you know what? This is, I, don't, I don't think I need to go here with this. This is just like nitty-gritty, unhelpful stuff. So I'm going to skip over this bit. Basically, that's not true, is it? That's just not true, because we read in Scripture that even even Jesus says, I don't know when I'm going to come back. Only the Father knows that. Um, and there's, there's many examples in Scripture where, where we see this eternal relationship between the Godhead. So what I'm saying, guys, is this is positional truth. It's positional. It's just you need to accept it. This is the truth of our Christian faith. Um, and there is, an, there is an order within the Godhead, and therefore we're made in the image of God. And male and female, he created us. And so there is an order in how men and women relate. So why is submission hard? Sin, isn't it? Sin. Sin in its very nature is a relational dysfunction. Sin, when, when in Genesis, when when we receive the consequences for our wrongdoing. Um, God doesn't go, like, doesn't hit us with a stick and say, you are cursed, bad human, you are cursed. He chooses to curse our relationships to things. It's not that we are cursed. It's that we now have a, a cursed relationship to ourselves, to God, and to the other, to our, to our husbands, wives, families, friends, the world, the physical world. Um, and so, yes, it's a relational dysfunction, and I'd suggest that it's pride was that was that first sin. The first hint of sin was, was pride. Um, right back in the Garden of Eden, as Eve was, was tested, she was tempted, wasn't she, the serpent came down and said, "Did God really say, "Don't eat the fruit?" or the, you know actually what he's saying is, if, if you eat this fruit, really, you're just going to be like him. Don't you want that?" And Eve thought, ooh, yeah, I do want that. Why would God withhold stuff from me? I've always trusted God, but why would he withhold it? Actually, yes, I think I would like to become like God, knowing knowledge of good and evil. So it then sparked up in the whole of humankind this um, propensity to rebel. Now, I love mugs. I love cups and mugs. I love the way they look. I love the way they, like, I like ones that are good to hold and drink out of. I'm just a bit, got a thing for mugs. And um, this is just a little example. Again, obviously, we're sort of new parents, and um, no one can tell me that sin isn't in the heart of everyone from a tiny (laughs) child. It just is. So I love mugs, and I take pictures of mugs because they make me feel good. (laughs) just cheer me up. And I was was sending some pictures to my friend of, look at my new mugs. And um, as I was sending a picture, as I was taking a picture of this one, Just before, I'd said to Max, we're having our breakfast in the morning, Max was sat on my lap, Max, don't touch mummy's tea, it's very hot. If you touch it, it will burn you, don't touch mummy's tea. I'm going to take a picture, I'm a lovely new Mark. I took a picture and his hand comes in, like, to touch it. So I've given him the rule, I've said, don't do this, because it's not good for you. What does he want to do, he wants to touch it. Like, come on, we've all seen that when we kids, don't touch the fire what will happen if I do that. We just push. We naturally push boundaries. Even as adults, like he's two and he does that. He was seven months and he was doing that. I'm 27, I still do that. I still, my inclination is to not trust that God says things that are good for me. I still challenge it. It's like, it's a good job Jesus died for us once and for all. That's the sort of sin. No, I'm serious. There's some sin that we can, we can make right with God. We can, we can say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn from sin. But that sin in our heart, we can't change that. Praise God that Jesus took away that separation because we can't change that. But So it's, this is pricing, isn't it? It's the sense that we know better than God or if we, if we listen to God, we'll be hum, hard done by or we'll miss out. And so, ladies here today, you might—I don't know where you're at with this—and I haven't really talked about having a ministry time. But I'm basically here for the weekend. And if you want to talk talk about these things, or then I'm free. You can come and chat to me. But maybe, maybe you think you're better gifted, better qualified than your husband to make decisions. Maybe you think you're more intelligent. I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> really not. <laughs> Um, but actually scripture has said he's placed husbands to be the head of their wives and to love them and to protect them and and to lead them and we need to be aware that pride pricks up in us and says I don't want you to lead I want to lead, I I know best I know what's best for me, I know what's best for the family and I want to do this this attitude ultimately is saying we know better than God, and we know better than the order that he's given for us. But I want to say this is positional truth. This is not a position to try and strive for. Women, we don't need to strive for a position that we don't need to strive for. Men have been given the position to, to take a lead. Um, and I'm, I'm aware I'm talking about this quite vaguely. I think I have more examples in the, last, in the last preach I did. So again, if you want to talk about this with me, we can unpack it. But I'm totally fine too. Now, also I'm aware that as I've been talking... It sounds like I'm depicting women as these kind of bossy, overbearing species that just want to dominate. And we're not really. All of us are broken. All of us are sinful. And I'm saying that the root now of this pride is often fear. As I've been saying, it's fear that God or our husbands won't be able to do the best for us. They won't give us the best. They won't provide the best for us. Um, And I certainly thought that. I thought if I I submit to Scott and say, OK, I believe in headship, I thought this is going to be suicide for my ministry, suicide for my theological understanding, and like suicide for my personality. All that I was, I thought I'd just be done down, sort of quiet woman, sit down, no, you're wrong. And I can firmly say now it's just nothing like that at all. Um, and if I can convince <coughs> any of you that Submission is a wonderful godly thing, as we've seen It's in the Godhead that Jesus always submits to the Father, more than just when he was on earth. Then I'm going to try. So let's look at submission. Okay, so Wendy Virgo, she's written this amazing book called Influential Women, and she looks at all these amazing characters in the Bible, these women who submit and are godly. She also looks at women who don't submit and who are ungodly. But I'm not Wendy Virgo, and I don't know the Bible amazingly. I don't know all the stories. So I'm just going to go to Jesus and look at how Jesus submits. Um, and I'm just going to flip it on his head can you imagine if Jesus did this can you imagine if Jesus lived on earth and he knew that he had to go to the cross and he said okay father we've got this plan haven't we I'm going to live a life I'm not going to sin I'm going to do as you tell me to do I'm going to live with joy and peace and obedience and I've got this thing that's coming up but I'm going to do it I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to to do this plan. Now, imagine if along the the way to that, he said, "Ah, actually, do you really think this is a good idea, Father? Because I've I've seen what's happening here on earth. And actually, what might help is if I am this great big political leader that they all want me to be. Perhaps perhaps I should overthrow the Roman Empire and Roman rule and then um, bring about peace on earth that way. Perhaps... Perhaps me going to the cross maybe not such a good idea. Have you actually seen what they do? Have you seen how they do it? But he didn't. He didn't give in to fear. He probably was fearful. He said he sweated drops of blood as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he faced fear, but he said, not my will, but yours. He chose to submit and give up what he thought was the best thing to do. I'm saying this hypothetically. And he submitted to the Father, even to death on the cross. That's amazing. Could we do that? Could we give up everything that we think is right? That's really hard to do. Sometimes I find it hard to even just go along with my friend and walk to town and go the way she wants to go. So I'm like, <laughs> no, really, it's a shortcut that way. It's so we'll just go that way. But it's, I think, no, I'm going to submit. I'm going to just do it her way. Why not? What's the big deal? What's going what's to go wrong? So it's fear that holds us back. And Jesus didn't fear, and you know what, guys, we don't have to fear. Women, you don't have to fear. A really helpful, um, just someone helpfully wrote this about submission. It says, the true woman is not afraid to place herself in a position of submission. She does not have to grasp. She does not have to control. Her fear dissolves in the light of God's covenant promise to her and to live within her. Submission is simply a demonstration of her confidence in the sovereign power of the Lord God. So we don't, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear being wrong. We don't have to fear if our husbands get it wrong. Actually, what is the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to go how we planned. Before we came this, to this weekend away, I was saying, Scott, I've got two kids and it's going to be hard. They're going to sleep in the same room. Well, I think it's probably best if you know, we stay for the Saturday. We stay all Saturday, but then we go home Saturday night. And he was like, no, Kate, I think we should stay and try and bless people as much as we can and serve as much as we can. I was like, mm, yeah, I disagree. I think we should, really tired as it is, I'm going to be knackered after doing the talk, and I had the choice then to yield or not to yield, and I heard myself getting all like hepped up and bossy, and I thought, no, I'm going I'm to do it, I went, all right, babe, okay, we'll stay, I thought, right, what's the worst that's going to happen, we're going to be a bit tired, the kids are going to be a bit fraught, and I'm going to need to completely crash out on Monday, that's fine, that's okay, I changed my attitude. And we can do that because I know God looks at that and says, yeah, that is a good submissive attitude. And that's how I want to submit to God as well. I want to say, God, I trust you in my life. I trust you with everything about my life. And I know you've given me Scott, who is there to lead and protect us as a family. And if he's fallible. He's not Jesus. He is, he is sinful. He's not sinless. But my confidence is in God. God won't let me be put to shame. And he won't let you be put to shame. If your confidence and your trust is in God you can submit to anyone so now I want to put a few challenges out there I know we've got some some young people who might still be at school um, culture hates submission doesn't it culture hates doing what you're told are you one of those people that hates being told what to do are you one of those people who like goes to school and just thinks well, right, if Miss is going to say that I'm just going to kick off, I'm not doing it Or are you someone who can say, yeah, you're my teacher. You're in a position of authority. You probably know what's good for me to get this exam or whatever or to learn this lesson. I really don't want to do it, but I'm just going to do it. That is the way of submission. It's giving up what you want and doing it someone else's way. Not just so that they're amazing and you're lowly, but actually it's that attitude that is pleasing to God. And in a way, you're saying, I can submit my life to God because he knows best, he's the boss, I'm not the boss. So godly femininity is about having a yielding heart firstly to God, being able to say, you're the boss, I'm not the boss. Um, my notes are a little bit waffling here. I think I'm going to end it there, guys. I think I've kind of said everything I need to say. mean, oh, I don't really know how you want to hand it from here. I'm happy to take questions, or we can, I can just chat to people afterwards, or how long have I even talked for? Was that under an hour? 37 minutes? That's not very long, is it? (laughs) Should I just do it again? (laughs) Have I missed anything off that I said last time that you want me to go over?
2: Yeah, I, in fact, I was just going to say that it might be good to um, let's get some questions out. No, I just take them.
0: Yeah, sorry. Scott. Say again. Yeah,
1: Scott.
0: Scott. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you really want to know? <laughs> um, We've Scott. So as I was broken, oh, God, he's left me. I went home on the train every weekend to my parents' house. would just sob on my bed. God just broke into my life more and was rebuilding me. And I went to Spring Harvest um, with some friends and family. And it was through any old talk that the Holy Spirit was then able to minister to my heart and able to teach me. I was so unteachable before. I thought I was teachable because I was going to Bible college, but I wasn't. My heart wasn't teachable. And it was through sermons on, like, creation and things like that that the Holy Spirit would, would talk to me about order and things. And basically, I called him up one time when I was at Spring Harvest and I said, I think God's working in my life on this and I think I can see it from how you see it. And I also, in that time, I, I re... You know, late at night on covers, I remember rereading Grudem and Piper who were like, don't say those names in my presence. <laughs> Grudem and... Oh, it's just like, oh, chauvinist. Now, I just don't have that at all. I was so anti. And I'd read them again. And actually, as I read them, i am think, yeah, that does make sense. Actually I, actually, I wish my dad was like that. My dad wasn't like that. That does sound like a decent guy. Scott would totally be that kind of husband. He would be that kind of bloke. And it was just my issue of accepting it. So I called him up and, um, and I said, I, I think I might have even, and I called him up and told him. And then he sent me a text message. Well, he thought he was sending it to me, but he wasn't. No, he thought he was sending his housemate. A text message saying, oh, "God, he's amazing. I can't believe it. Praise God. Katie's just changed her mind on the issue of men and women. They didn't. And he said it's a me, and I was like, oh, if that's not another little stab at my pride, like it was right there. So, like, we took it from there really, and so I, it, I just I gave in. I gave in, and I've never looked back really."
2: Just just call out questions, I think she's...
0: Yeah. Yeah, I said to my friend because she was um, she was in on the conversation when me and Scott were talking. She she overheard it. She went, Kate, what day are you coming home then? I went, I've yielded. She went, all oh, right. I said, if he's wrong, he's going to know about it. <laughs> but but that's fine. That's okay. Um, how does it work then, girls? It's about firstly it's about having a yielding attitude to God, right? So that sense of, God, you're the boss of my life. Now your husband isn't your boss. He's he's been given to you to to lead you. Scott's gonna be talking a lot about this, aren't you, babe? You're gonna be going through about, about leadership. So for me as a woman, how do I relate to Scott? Um I kind of I look to him to provide a lead. I look for him to provide strength on a daily basis. So that means I want him to be involved in everything, really. I don't need him to be involved in everything, but I want him to take an interest in what we're doing with the children, how I'm doing, how my day's gone, the state of the house, everyday mundane things, I want him to be present. That's, That's my bug there about men taking a lead, is that they're present and in the thick of the action. So go on, come back at me. So, yeah, I can see
3: you like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but surely that would work both ways. I
0: presume that would happen the other way,
3: where you would take him to work and hit everything that he's doing. So I'm wondering how is that, in what way In my head, that is a team. Yes. In what
0: way is do you want to jump in at all, Scott? I can see your head's ticking over. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. Um, <laughs>
0: I think I might have held back from answering quite as directly as probably I should do. Silly, really, because actually, so when we bought our house, we knew we, had, we knew we, in theory, had the money to get quite a big mortgage and get a big <coughs> house. And that was what I wanted, of course it was. Um, and it, it came to a, a much smaller house came up, which would have been more affordable month to month. Um, and I really wanted to go for the big one. And my opinions were perfectly valid. Scott totally took them in, totally listened to them. But he felt really strongly, Kate, this is best for us. This is best for us as a family to not overstretch ourselves and overcommit with this mortgage. I know it would be amazing. I know we could get lodges. We could probably make it happen. He could see how it could pan out if we did it my way. But he said, I don't want to do that. I think it's right that we take the smaller house and the smaller mortgage. And I went, OK. I had to suck it up. And just say, okay. And that is actually it. You have to let go of what you want to do. That is submission. It's saying, I don't want to do this. Sometimes you don't want to do it, but you do it. But what I try and do, because I love Scott, because actually he's a wonderful husband, and he, like, we're friends, and and he loves me, and he woos me, and he looks after me, and he treats me well. It doesn't really come to that. It's not hard for me to say, babe, what are we doing on this? Or yeah, what, whatever you think is good because I love him. I actually like him. I respect him. So it's really hard if your husband's a bit of a bully. It's really hard, isn't it, girls? Because you're, like, you're trying to do the right thing, constantly saying, okay, darling, we'll do it your way. Okay. And that's wonderful if you're doing that. But guys, if you're being a bully, you're just going to alienate your wife and push her away and it's not going to be a loving submission. That's not how it should be. Sometimes it feels like that, like, like with this weekend, away, I had to suck it up and go, okay, we're going to do it your way. That is submission. That's what it looks like for the wife. It, I almost don't like talking about it when the robber hits the road, or you know when the buck stops. It's very kind of John Piper, and but it kind of is true. It's, it kind of is what it comes down to.
4: shirking who you were made to be and it seems like you're shirking um a level of um authority that maybe has been given to you. How do you explain I mean particularly to non Christians say submission
0: is still powerful and do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um it's like the thing with the toddler, it's like where uh we judge our lives very differently to how non Christians judge their lives, don't we? Because we say our lives are under the authority of God. And non Christians don't say that. They say my life is under my authority, and, like the authority of my boss until I get that promotion. Um, but we say oh, God releases me to be who I am. So, so Scripture says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and He will raise you up. It's about it's about humility, and it's it's more than about feeling released. Oh God, thanks, you've given me my ticket, and off I go. I've got the authentication I need actually it's God knowing you so well and releasing you the things that you're, that you're actually meant to be doing rather than the things that you think you want to be or should be doing um, come back at me if that's not
4: i just thinking in the workplace or in society people um, w- women as you're alluding to are in a post feminist era where they're very keen to be in equality with men in all respects yeah. and
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a revelation thing, isn't it? It was a revelation thing for me. I was exactly like that, but yet I professed Christ, and I loved him, and I was a, I was a spirit-filled Christian, but it was a revelation. I couldn't get it. I was still so influenced by the culture of, you know, femininity, masculinity, being like that, that I couldn't see it even myself as a Christian. So goodness knows our non-Christians are going to get it. It's a revelation thing. It's, it's God softening their hearts. It's... It's submitting to God. It's saying, I don't know what's best in my life. God does. So it's a hard place to start, but the best way to evangelise on that is just to speak the truth plainly. It's just to say, oh, actually, I submit to my husband. I'll talk to my husband about that, and if he agrees, we might come along to that event. So you can just chuck it out there, and they're going to be like, what? And they're going to be proud, and that's a way in. That's just That just highlights the sin, doesn't it? Is that helpful at all? Kind of, kind of not. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. <clears throat> um, I've really learned to yield to other people as a result of this. Um, I remember when I was doing my levels I was doing drama, and I was like, my idea is the best way. It's, okay, you're going to stand there, you're going to stand there, and this is what we're going to do, and then I'm going to come in, and then no wait, stop, and then you're going to come in, and then what we're going to do, and I'd like write the script, I had the set plan, it was all going to be my way. And like, I wasn't really arrogant and horrible, I was just really enthusiastic, and I really did have a good idea. And, like, through all this, now, I'm just not like that. I, I can just let it go. I can be like, I want you to come out. I, I'm now looking for other people to be drawn out of themselves. And I'd now look to serve others in friendship and say, let's do it your way. Yeah, let's go see that film. I really hate that film. Don't want to see that. But, yeah, I'll go with that. Cool. I'll enjoy it. It's, uh, my attitude has changed. And I think we should have, we, you know... Verse 21 of Ephesians 5 says, Submit to one another out of reverence of Christ. Then it goes on to husbands and wives. So it's all together having a yielding attitude to God and to one another, to look to put each other's interests first. And if you're doing that in marriage, it's going to be amazing. And if you're in friendships, you're going to have good friends that are going to want to be your friend for a long time. What that God does actually bless people who seem to be doing it out of the natural, out of the order that He's created for things.
3: Yeah, I mean, is it just a God or is it actually the? Um, <coughs> yeah, I mean, maybe that's doing an artist. If you hold your view, you can get that it's actually God looks past the mistakes they've made in pursuing that ministry or in having a different order in their family
0: life. Yeah, yeah, I think God is tremendously, tremendously gracious. It's hard, isn't it? Because I've been completely convinced of this now. And so, of course, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to preach it and I'm going to say, this is right, girls, you know. And I think just as Scripture says, you know, men lead, you, lead your homes. Men, if you take care of your homes, you can take care of the church. So, yes, I can really see how this works. And I, I'm, a, I'm a believer in it. So when I see churches that do it differently, I think, oh, oh I, I, I just try not to judge, really, because I know I've come from that. Um, so I think what I'm saying is yes that's kind of I just think God you're gracious and in your timing in your way if you, if that's going to change that's going to change but does that kind of answer what you were hoping that to get like out of it oh right you just sort of say. <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> That's where I was. I was in that place before I went to college. And I was in the place of, oh, you could do it like that, but I do it in a Baptist church and there's women elders and it's fantastic. Yeah, you do it where it's only male elders and it's fantastic. And I think you have to be convinced, but you have to let scripture speak. And it does come down. And there are 1,700 books on egalitarianism and there's 1,700 books on complementarianism. And it is like, oh, they both, but you need to decide what scripture says. I know what I've decided.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of commenters do talk about Deborah um, being an exception to the rule. And again, a dem- like a kind of a, a scripture reason, it's said to not be being prescriptive in that, but it's just being descriptive. It was saying Deborah rose this position of power and leadership. Lots of things we read in scripture aren't like bob-on ideal, are they? Like Israel and all this. Of it. you know, it's like, so it's the journey that we go on, and God redeems us through that journey. So it's not necessarily that that's saying, it's not necessarily justifying. You need to weigh the rest of scripture against those, those um, examples. But you need to think about those examples, because people will bring them up. I mean, I'm sensing
2: that there's lots, there's lots of questions, lots of uh, comments that could be made. I can see that Charles um, got a hand up. Um,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and a, and I think I just think it. it, it yeah. Okay, <laughs> Char, what's, what's your question? I yield to you, Shah. <laughs>
0: for it
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but how do you weigh that up with scripture? Cuz there's one okay, this is this is tricky. That was not a safe question. <laughs> there's the 1 Timothy 2:11 that says, "I do not permit a woman to preach or teach or have authority over a man because it was Adam who was made first and then Eve and Eve was susceptible to sin." Okay, now that is tricky. But I think it I, I don't believe it's right to build a theology based on just one scripture. Um so the issue for preaching for us is, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let your church leader answer that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think, yeah. but I'm not going to influence you. Yeah. I'm going to let him influence
2: you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I'm I, think now. I think there's a, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, pick, picking up, the first thing I want to pick up is is, is Pete's point about. What do you do then when you see someone who's being blessed, who thinks differently to you? You've come to a theological conviction of something and they, they seem to have a completely different <coughs> conviction and uh, God seems to be blessing them. I think there are, there, there are a number of things that, about that. First of all, is um, it's, it's really, we've got to be really careful about judging people by what appears to be their blessing. So just generally, you've got to be careful about that because you can judge people because they're nice and then you can judge people because it appears that, you know, we heard that 100 people got saved at that meeting or 10 people were healed or whatever and you can judge them according to those things and, and I, think, I think we've learned to judge people like that but I don't think that's the right way to judge people at all because, uh, you know, what does, what does God say to Samuel? Uh, man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart. And so I don't think we should judge a particular ministry because of it, it, its appeared blessing or even its appeared endorsement by other people. Yeah, I think you need to walk personally and go, and, and in your situation, and say, well, actually, I, I just don't know that I can... I don't know how they do that, but I, don't, I know that I can't do that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you get that in the issue of women. You definitely get that in the issue of the Holy Spirit. You get, God appears to bless people do not believe in the power and the work of the, in, in, of the Holy Spirit, but they seem to be blessed. Well, fair, fair enough. Yeah? It, doesn't, it doesn't mean that God thinks the Holy Spirit isn't required yeah? because somebody is blessed even though they don't <coughs> sort of follow the way. So I just think just, that's just a caution. And therefore, and, and if you take that caution, you have to be careful how much you're prepared to go, well, can this be right if they are blessed when they don't do it? You just have to be careful how far you take that. Um, in terms of the issue of, of, of women and speaking and, and stuff, I mean, I, I just thought you were great, uh, Katie, today. I just thought it was brilliant what you brought. Um, and, uh, again, the thing I want to pick out in what you said, was she talked about having gone on this journey, what she's learned is to submit. She's learned about submission. She's not just learned <coughs> about, uh, you know, egalitarianism and complementarity She's learned about submission. Uh, about following God and I think that's probably one of the big things to take away um, from it um, yeah 1 Timothy 2 obviously talks about um, uh, women and men and the authority thing um, where I've gone on that is you've got that scripture in 1 Timothy 2 but you have other scriptures like in 1, in, in 1 Corinthians um, 11 3 it talks about you know when women are to pray and to prophesy they're to do it with their head covered in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about uh, when you come together, everyone has something to bring. Um, and, and my approach, I talked about this a lot the, when, I, when I preached on this, is that, is that some issues come with a tension. They, they come with a, it's not clear, um, that there's literally a tension between the Bible seems to say this and it says that. It's the, I suppose it's the, the black and, it's white, and white thing. And when it comes to Women and their role saying, speaking in church, I live with the tension. I don't live on one scripture or the other scripture. I go, the Bible seems to say that it clearly indicates that they do speak here. It seems to say that they don't speak here. There's a tension here. And within that tension, I think you're, you're, you, you, know, you live within the tension, but then you're free, I think, to operate and to have women speaking and stuff. And so, um, which is where we are. Uh, in, t- in terms of a practical application of, the, of the, those particular scriptures I think exactly like Katie I, I try not to draw any theology from one scripture yeah, the, you know the Bible is telling us something it's a story, and it it's unfolding all the time and that's and we are to, we're not to pick something out and go oh that seems to suggest this we're to sort of live within the story and so um, that, that's how I, uh, I approach that particular subject and, and I think if if what you're doing brings about um, yeah okay <laughs> okay so I, I think we're going to end it there I, I think there is a tea break um, after tea then the, the tea break Scott's going to come and speak and maybe we'll go back to questions again uh, at the end of that so let's, let's give Katie a round of applause Together at twelve, back in here at twelve, we will lead and
1: take to your street. Now's the time for us to.